This is the Champlain Society podcast, Witness to Yesterday. My name is Greg Marshaldon, and I'm in downtown Toronto at the Allen Slate Radio Institute at Ryerson University. My guest today is Deborah McPhail, Assistant Professor in the Department of Community Health Sciences at the Max Rady College of Medicine, University of Manitoba. She is the author of Contours of the Nation, Making Obesity and Imagining in Canada, 1945 to 1970. She joins me from her office in Winnipeg. Deborah, welcome to Witness to Yesterday, the Champlain Society podcast on Canadian history. Thank you very much for having me. So tell us, what were your original motivations in writing a history of obesity in Canada? Um, well, I am, as anyone who uh, opens the book on page one will probably <laughs> ascertain, a feminist uh, theorist. And one of the um, central sort of pillars of feminist methodology is to is take your personal experience and politicize it, hence the adage of the personal is political. And so... Uh, all of my um, actually undergraduate and graduate work has centered around really uh, my experiences of living here and now uh, in a larger body. And when I uh, got to into my PhD um, and through my uh, supervisor and mentor, Dr. Catherine McPherson at York University, um, developed an uh, interest in history, um, I started thinking about um, those experiences differently through a different lens of trying to figure out how um, those experiences were constructed, produced, formed, framed um, over time. And so that's really uh, where that came from. And then I started doing uh, some research around that, trying to figure out if indeed uh, the way that we perceive as a society uh, in the West, fatness um, can be understood or should be understood historically. And indeed, some people have undertaken that work, but not really in Canada. So I decided that uh, a good project for me would be to fill that gap and to undertake that research. So that's where the book came from. And so why did you choose 1945 to <clears throat> 1970s, your time period? Well, I knew that I wanted it to be, a, a, you know, focusing on the post-war era uh, because of, uh, you know, all the literature that's established, how in Canada that was such a dynamic time in terms of how gender, race, class, and indeed Canadianness um, was um, becoming re they were becoming rearticulated, um, and not in like an easy uh, way, but through a lot of conflict and. Uh, um, anxiety around what those terms actually meant and who we were to each other, and indeed who Canada, uh, what Canada was, uh, what the place of Canadians were in the place in in the world. Um, and so I knew that I wanted to focus on that era um, for those reasons, but also because um, in around the 1970s, the idea of obesity as a global um, phenomenon sort of started to emerge and that started to become talked about more frequently. And so I wanted to understand 
what led up to the 1970s and what led up to that articulation in the Canadian context. So those are the main reasons that I chose the time period that I did. Now, you challenged the uh, so-called scientific view of obesity that became commonplace by 1970. Can you explain why? Uh, yes. <clears throat> so I have already said that um, I draw on feminist theory, but I also, in my work, um, draw on the you know Foucauldian concepts of genealogy um, and understanding history in a very, um, and I understand this is controversial, but kind of presentist way uh, of trying to um, uh, take a, a political sort of um, concept now and um, try to show the way in which that actually was constructed over time and through specific relations of power. Um, so I undertook that methodology in terms of obesity because obesity is the perfect, actu like actually the perf one of the perfect terms, uh, concepts to uh, to do uh, to do that sort of methodology because it is imagined as just as it is. It's a scientific phenomenon. It's statistically derived. It's something that goes now without question that we understand obesity um, just you know as a as an as is concept because uh, it is uh, derived through scientific. Um, research and uh, uh, experimentation. So, um, <clears throat> excuse me. So, one of the um, one of the key components then of deconstructing obesity and trying to understand where it came from um, historically had to be um, really looking carefully at it as a scientific term and construct and trying to understand where that science came from. Um, and having said that, it's not, it's also my book in that specific way is also part of and draws on a much larger literature um, and also quite emergent literature um, that looks at the science of obesity um, and tries to capture, it doesn't try to undermine it necessarily, but tries to capture the complexity of it. So the science of obesity is actually much more complicated than is typically imagined, for example, in the popular press, and in fact is quite um, diverse. So some science, um, you know, shows exactly what we think, that certain, you know, weight um, levels are unhealthy and lead to cardiovascular failure and diabetes and so on. But some of the science is more nuanced and, and looking at, well, um, actually, some a, a lot of larger body people are actually quite healthy in those specific ways in terms of you know blood sugar in terms of cardiovascular health, and so um, and that science sort of looks at well what what are what are the factors that make some larger people healthy in those ways and some not healthy in those ways, um, and surprisingly or not. <laughs> as the same factors that make smaller body people healthy or unhealthy in those ways, which are, you know, health behaviors or you know, such as diet and exercise and whether or not people, um, you know, do those 
sort of health behaviors that mm. we find you know, right. important. Right. So, um, so the science of obesity is actually quite complicated and large and encompasses a wide variety of perspectives. And so my book is part of that larger literature that sort of tries to focus on that. And then consequently ask the question of, given the complexity of obesity science, why do we then decide to have this very simple, simplified narrative of obesity, uh, that it is always already unhealthy, that larger people are always, you know, a drain to the medical system. So why does that complexity uh, become pared down to that? And that's really the question. So on that, uh, I'd like to ask you about the historical origins of the stigma attached to uh, obesity. Um, When did this begin? How was it constructed? And uh, do we, is there as much ob- uh, stigma attached to obesity today as there was historically, let's say pre-1945 and post the period you're dealing with, 45 to 70? Well, I think that ob- uh, you know, what we now call stigma, you know, that's a relatively new term for obesity. <laughs> obesity stigma as a term is relatively new. Um, what we now call, you know, that has been emerged in and out of history. So, you know, books like Amy Farrell's uh, Fat Shame looks really closely at um, American and British colonial projects um, and how obesity stigma or fat phobia or whatever you want to call it sort of was part of these colonial discursive machines um, in which white people were imagined as... uh, you know, um, more progressive, uh, you know, more, you know, you know, just like, mm, like their bodies, their slender bodies, uh, rendered them the most appropriate people to inherit the earth sort of thing. Uh, whereas colonized people were imagined as large bodied, um, animalistic, um, in nature. Um, people. So, uh, you know, Amy Farrell shows that, you know, how that was strong, uh, a strong narrative throughout those uh, periods of colonization. And then I show in my book how the same sort of narrative emerged <clears throat> in 1950s and 1960s Canada um, in order to, you know, uh, and sort of worked alongside other um, narratives to help um, reestablish um, gender norms, norms around race, norms around class, um, at a time in Canadian history in which those things are very much um, under question and in, in upheaval. So this thing that we call now obesity stigma has come and gone uh, throughout history. And this uh, it's interesting to me uh, because I observe this I observed recently that when Trump got elected, all of a the sudden there were all of these stories again in the media about obesity. So it's fascinating to me, and I'm not saying correlation is causation. <laughs> this is just something I've noticed, um, that that when there's a time, uh, and this fits the historical pattern, where there's a time of upheaval socially in the West, um, Obesity kind of reemerges, reemerges as a problem um, through which a lot of other conversations are t- taking place underneath that are not quite articulated, but are really fueling um, this, this, the so-called obesity crisis. The, uh, I can certainly understand what you mean by it waxing and waning. There's sort of a short-term cycle, but 
in longer run terms, uh, are we attaching more stigma to obesity today than we did, uh, let's say, in 1950? That's a good question. I think that certainly what I would say is that it, I think, in, has intensified in a more and become more systemic because now, um, unlike the 1950s, now, um, like so in the 1950s, and I show in my book, um, and uh, it, Wendy Mitchinson has, has also shown this in book chapters and articles that she's done, that um, the definition of what obesity actually was was so in flux and nobody could agree and one person said one thing and the government of Canada said another and the insurance company said yet another. So that was so much in flux and and, um, the level at which you're considered healthy um, in terms of your body size was not, it was just simply not agreed upon at all. Um, So now, unlike then, we have this like very systematized, um, very much settled, or so it seems, machinery of um, obesity discourse um, in which that arises from the World Health Organization in which people are sort of easily slotted into obesity categories through their BMI. So your, your BMI determines whether you're obese, pre-obese, obese class 1, obese class 2, morbidly obese. So that is uh, very different from the 1950s. And so um, I think that intensifies obesity stigma because um, people, doctors or other, even like you can look it up online, right? Your BMI and slot yourself into the WHO chart. So like, uh, you know, anybody can um, uh, define who is obese and and so there, that's one part of, I, I think, uh, the, the the story, because I think that's intensified it since the 50s. And the other part is um, a continuous move toward the privatization of health care and the neoliberalization of the state. And so, um, you know, there's been a lot of work done around how obesity fits into that, per, uh, into that because, <clears throat> excuse me, Obesity is um, one of the ways in which uh, the healthcare system or has now downloaded health onto individuals um, so that if people can, if we can as individuals maintain our health through maintaining our weight, then we can keep healthcare costs down and we don't have to uh, continuously rely on this massive bureaucratic sort of healthcare system. Um, and so obesity uh, fits really nicely then into the neo- neoliberalization um, and pri- move toward privatization in the healthcare uh, system. So in that way, I think obesity stigma has indeed uh, become intensified as well since the 50s. I also hear it in terms of the narratives by many public health thinkers uh, who uh, normally uh, would identify strongly with the progressive left uh, and are against marketization, but that's part of their uh, language as well. Uh, But I wanted to ask you about a section of your book that was fascinating, and that is the connection between obesity 
and how it was identified with indigenous people in Canada, mm -hmm. particularly those peoples living in the far north. Can mm -hmm. you explain what you mean by that? Yeah, so uh, the way that I sort of stumble upon that <laughs> is that uh, at some point, as I was like pouring over uh, medical journals in the Gerstein Science and Information Center <laughs> at the U of T, um, I, I started noticing this pattern in the medical journals. And at first, I would just sort of like flip over these articles because they weren't about obesity um, and not really notice them, but about in, indigenous uh, health in terms of contagious illness, in terms of TB in particular. Um, and so at and then at one point I was like, wait a minute, <laughs> like this is actually a finding that, you know, within the literature, obesity is spoken of um, in terms only of, in that period, only of white people. And indigenous people were completely absent from the, from the narrative of obesity and showed up only <clears throat> in narratives of um uh, you know, contagious illness. And I'm not saying that's because it wasn't what was happening, because it was. It absolutely was. Um, but to me, that was because I was looking at the journals and all of the literature as a, in terms of discourse and the, the story that was being told, um, I went back and I, and I looked at everything again. And, um, and, I, and I noticed that, indeed, uh, Indigenous people were completely... Um, being constructed as uh, primitive um, in terms of through um, discourses of disease, so that white people now in Canada were now imagined to have gone through that sort of stage of um, being having to be concerned about con uh, contagious illnesses because there were um, antibiotics, there were like uh, mo there was modern medicine, and so like that was no longer a concern. Um, and that uh, white Canadians had evolved to this point where now the thing that was facing white Canadians were um, diseases attached mostly to behavior, to health behaviors, um, uh, including of the big one at the time being heart disease, um, which was linked to obesity. And so, uh, while Indigenous people were still existing in the past in which contagious illness was the main, um, the main threat. So um, I noticed that in particular in relation, and it intensified through the 60s uh, to the north, because interest in the north in the 1960s grew and grew and grew um, because of, you know, the northern development plan So uh, that occurred that time. So um, what happened was in the, in the 60s in particular, in the mid-60s and late 60s, all of the researchers who were interested um, in uh, chronic illnesses started to become interested in the North because what they noticed was that um, the North was being um, you know, developed, uh, becoming, quote-unquote, modern um, as Northern development sort of intensified. And so these researchers went up there um, to capture what was happening with people's health as northern development was happening. And what they found was that as in, uh, people in the north were becoming, quote-unquote, this is all in air quotes, 
uh, more modern, um, that they were developing more modern um, diseases such as obesity. So it was through obesity, like this sort of discourse of obesity, that people, researchers and government officials, and also uh, this showed up in magazines, this narrative such as McLean's, um, that people in the North were articulated as becoming sort of modern and becoming um, more like, you know, quote-unquote regular Canadians. Um, so obesity was really understood as a marker uh, through, by which we could measure um, modernization, um, leaving sort of this primitive uh, time and coming into, uh, you know, modern Canada. Mm-hmm. That's right. Part of the narrative of... Uh... Uh, industrial diseases of high-income countries. But, Deborah, we want to uh, thank you very much for this interview. Thank you. I really appreciate you joining us today. My guest today was Deborah McPhail. She is the author of Contours of the Nation, Making Obesity and Imagining in Canada, 1945 to 1970. The book was published by the University of Toronto Press in 2017. You've been listening to Witness to Yesterday, the Champlain Society podcast. Please visit our website at www.champlainsociety.ca where you'll find out more about what the Society does, including its publications, its blog, and its podcasts. There's even a place to donate to our charitable society if you like these conversations about Canada's history. This interview was recorded at the Allen Slate Radio Institute of Ryerson University and was produced by Naomi Katz and Sumit Dami. We look forward to you joining us again.